0: Hi, welcome to the Business Vitality Podcast. I am your host, Katherine Canty. You can learn more about me and my team at KatherineCanty.com. For more than two decades, I have been able to travel the country and help other people grow their business. From those experiences, I was able to work with a proposal team that generated success 90% of the time for over a decade. We have created a leadership coaching program that is creating 100% measured results as seen by the leaders, peers, and stakeholders. And finally, I've spent nearly a decade in boardrooms, corporate boardrooms, where we are learning what's working and what's not. And more importantly, we're able to take the communication from the boardroom and get it down to the front line so execution is easier to implement. You know, from all these experiences, we created a framework called Business Vitality. These are all of the best practices of leaders and and opportunities that have been coming up decade after decade. And a lot of this stuff has been in practice for more than 20 years, 30 years and beyond. And what we're learning is a lot of these folks that are remaining vital in business today are having to think differently. And to share a quote from one of my CEOs that I've worked with in the past, He told me all day long he can hire folks, but what he needs more of are people who think outside the box. So in an effort to pay it forward and celebrate successes, we are going to be sharing stories of leaders who are thinking differently and remaining vital in business today. Please stick to the end and we will share how you can be a guest on the show. And thanks so much for being here. Mike Kading, you are the CEO of Norhart, found on the web at norhart.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you being here. And um, I just want to start off with, can you describe a little bit about Norhart and and the work that you guys are doing?
1: Yeah, at a high level, we design, build, and rent apartments. We're focused on driving down the cost of housing by solving the world of construction we're already producing housing at about 20 to 30% less than other developers. And we believe we can achieve a 50% reduction in cost. Imagine what that means. I mean, someday your rent would be half, your mortgage payment could be half. So that's our goal is to solve America's housing affordability crisis.
0: It's a big problem. Um, And I know we normally talk about the, the the business vitality of it all, but you've piqued my interest. I I shared before I I hit record that the housing um, situation, even where I live in South Carolina is near and dear to us. Um, We raise money to to help build houses and support the local efforts here and to be able to support the moms and the, the kids to get into permanent housing from homelessness. I mean, it's a group effort and to help drive down the cost. You've Piqued my interest. Is that something that you can share? Of, you know, what are some, some ideas that you found that are working? Um, I'm very curious if if you're open to to sharing some of that.
1: Absolutely. You know, what we found is that other industries like manufacturing has improved productivity over the past 60 years by huge amounts, like 760%. But the world of construction has done virtually nothing at 10%. And so the simple idea is why don't we take the lessons learned from these other industries and apply it into our own? To give you some sense of it, in the world of construction, typically you have different companies doing different parts of the work. It's very disparate. You know, if a construction company were to produce cars, you have a different company installing the windshield, a different company installing the door, and a different company installing the wheel. And then the wheel company would call you up and say, hey, I'm so sorry but I got delayed in another project. I won't be back out there for two weeks. Your line would be shut down. And when they did arrive, they would be upset because they could only work on one car at a time. See, the world of manufacturing looks at us and says, dude, you guys are crazy. But that's normal in our world. So that's one of the first things we started changing. And that kind of started a domino effect of 10,000 little improvements to solve construction housing.
0: So is the secret that you've got the, the population close together? Because I know you've, you mentioned that you focus on apartments and, and some of those um, solutions. Is that what helps speed it up to gain the efficiency?
1: Yeah. Well, when you think about speed, one of the things we did there is look at the assembly line mm-hmm. uh, that revolutionized manufacturing. But naively, you look at construction and say, dude, you, you can't apply the assembly line to what you're doing. It just doesn't work, right? You can't take a building and drive it down a line. But what you can do is you can take the person and move them through the building. So every five hours, each one of our teams shifts by one unit to the building, which means at the end of the building, every five hours, we have a brand new completed apartment unit. And that one technique takes a project that might take 15 months to complete and drives it down to nine.
0: That's impressive. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have built homes and worked with um, with uh, the construction teams locally. And they're like, what do you mean you can do that in nine months instead of 15? And some people, they look at their footings at their house for 15 months before <laughs> the next crew comes in. So you have, it sounds like you've got, because I'm trying to create a visual here. So you've got the apartment complex. You have a a team that goes in there. How big are the teams?
1: So the company as a whole is about 250 employees. Each individual team will vary depending on the size, but between one and maybe 10 people.
0: Fantastic. And then they go down. So you basically create the assembly line for them within this building that you guys are 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 building are they existing buildings or are they they they're all brand new, new construction they're all brand yeah. new so when you, you look at
1: a building on one end of it will literally be dirt and the other end because they're kind of large buildings but the other end people could be moving into uh so it's that kind of thing going on the assembly line in
0: in action so um tell me are they all in minnesota you're across the country tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah, we're currently, uh, all of our properties are in Minnesota, but we've now expanded in the world of actual manufacturing for our buildings. So we have manufacturing facilities in, in Minnesota and Wisconsin. We're expanding our properties now into Texas with manufacturing capacity also moving into Mexico and about 15% of our staff are international.
0: How did all of this just begin? Did you have this idea? What was the story that that drove drove you to create this?
1: Yeah, it, it was originally a family business. You know, my parents started it, and I remember uh, going out to the local hardware store as a family outing. Uh, it was a half an hour drive. We get out there, each one of us kids fill up a cart full of supplies, and we fill up my dad's little trailer, head on back down the highway. You know, throughout the summers we'd be building these small eight or ten unit buildings, and then during the winter I would go to school. But eventually, I went off to college and. I really wanted nothing to do with the family business. And looking back, I think the reason that was is because I don't want people to think it was given to me. So I, I really wrestled with my own ego. But deep down, what I realized about myself is that I wanted to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world. And so what I saw was that I could take my family's small business And grow to something much larger that could have that kind of meaningful impact. So that's how I got kicked off.
0: This spurs a lot of questions in my mind. Um, One of the one of the thoughts that I have is a lot of the CEOs that I work with they say that they're hiring. They they can't find people to hire that Mm. think differently, that um, know when the process is broken and we just need to walk away from it. they can hire people to fill out the TPS reports, they can hire people to, um, you know, just to show up and 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 step into the process. But really, to be able to grow, we've got to take a step back and realize, is this process even still working? And it takes a lot of courage for someone to be able to do that. So have a lot of admiration for what you're doing, because the world it just doesn't have as many of those brains that are going on. And I'd love to hear what you're doing. And it sounds like it's a personal journey before you could even implement it into the business. You almost had to go down your own path before you could really define what you were going to do next. And if that's safe to say, would you mind talking about that? Because that has got to be a pretty big struggle um, internally to go from, you know, pretty good family business and, and you've got probably decent memories, good memories. And then to be able to evolve to this, like that's a lot of, Inward looking and, and insight. And that's what a lot of leadership has. And do you mind just kind of talking about that if that's safe for me to assume and, and to be able yeah. to ask?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, growth is painful because of all the challenges that come with it, it's a lot of change. And I think one of the hardest moments in my life is within a few years after joining, uh, my dad suddenly and unexpectedly passed away. And one day we had him, and the next day we didn't. And for me, he was sort of a rock in my life. But trying to look back at that moment positively, what I've started to realize is there was a gift in that moment. And that gift was that I was ignorant to the world, the challenges that we were facing. And I didn't know the way things were supposed to be done in this industry. And so we just started to change things. I know I had no idea how painful that would be, but in doing that and having that kind of mindset, that inexperience actually being a bit of an asset helped us start to change the world around us. And so we started taking on crazy stuff. Now, at points to that, it was very hard and we failed in in many avenues, but that was the seed that led to a lot of where we're at today.
0: I have a couple questions. One is, is about the family business aspect because it, it pops up and I've got a background in agriculture and in agriculture, there's a lot of family business and family dynamics. And I don't know how you navigate that. If you've got maybe one or two thoughts that, that could maybe help some folks that are in that family business that are the next generation that are coming in. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have any advice?
1: Yeah. My first is, Just make sure that it's something you actually want to do, right? Just because it's there, just because your parents want it, just because it's the the natural next step does not make it the right step. One of the ways that I look at our staff and what we're doing is that we want to be best in the world at what we do. Do you think as a business owner or a leader that you have any shot at being best in the world? if you don't love what you're doing. But it's so much deeper than that because life is so short. Don't waste your life doing something you don't want to be doing. So I think getting that right is critical because in so many family businesses, and I've seen this in groups that I've interacted with, the first generation builds it, the second generation maintains it, and the third generation destroys it. And you don't want to be that. So if this isn't your passion, this isn't your energy, this isn't where you want to be, then don't move forward with that. Be brave and say no.
0: Takes a lot of courage. And you also mentioned about that you were you had a fresh set of eyes. You didn't have all the answers to construction and you did look at it in a new way. And you didn't know that the growth was going to be painful. Of course, none of us do. And I joke, I'd rather read a book than have to go through some of my life lessons that I've had, but books are not there. And even if they were there they probably are there. You just don't want to believe it. There's something about going through some of this stuff that really just drives home the lesson. Um, But it, it, it does hurt. And I was working with a group of leaders and they thought failure was failure. And I think failure can be a, a great learning opportunity. If we can learn from it, it can turn into a success because of what we've, what we can benefit from it. And I don't, do you have an example of maybe one that comes to mind that would be great to share with our listeners of a failure that um, that you're able to learn from that you could share with us.
1: Absolutely. I'll, I'll first mention this, that I completely agree with you. I think so much of us as we get older start to think that whenever we start something new, we should be pretty good at it. But the reality is anytime we do something new, we're terrible at it. It's human nature. It's totally okay. right? When you're born, you can't walk. You can't talk. You can't add pretty pathetic, but that's normal. That's natural. That's the way things are. Why do we get out of that mindset later in life? I I don't understand it, but you need to be okay with that failure. You know, For me, when my dad passed away, uh, we were jumping into a brand new building and it was a new city and the city didn't have faith in me. In fact, in some ways, I didn't have faith in myself. And the city shut us down twice after my dad passed away. In fact, the second time they said, Mike, you're not good enough. You need to hire a manager to be managing this team. And so I only had a couple of days to find someone, which is a terrible way to hire a key manager of your company. I did find someone, but it was not a great fit long-term. So behind the scenes, we're doing all of the work. And I remember just a few weeks prior to having to open, we had a water main leak. This is a 1,000-foot-long pipe buried 15 feet in the ground. And somewhere in this leak is a pinhole, just a tiny little leak. But it's enough to register on tests. And so we're just starting to dig up this pipe everywhere. I'm in my nice clothes, in the mud, scooping with my hands, trying to find this leak with the guys. It was weeks of work on that. And then I remember just a few days before we're supposed to open, City inspectors came out and said, Mike, there's no way you're opening. I have families going to be out in the street unless we find a way to solve this. We work late through the night. I remember the final day. We had a whole, a half a dozen inspectors for half a day to do a final inspection. They looked at every nook and cranny of that building. And at the end, they went down to the parking garage. And the head building official pulled me aside, said, Mike, I know we were hard on you, but looking back and looking at this building today, this is the nicest building that we've opened in this city. It was like, ha, finally, but this is a year, a year of pain, a year of believing that I'm not good enough. People telling me that I'm not good enough, living in that point of failure and that I'm terrible at what I'm doing. But taking it one step at a time, one foot in front of the other and getting out past the other side to finally say, I can actually do this and starting having confidence in myself.
0: That is huge. And did it happen over the journey of the year? Or is this something that you continue to to work on? Talk about that, the confidence.
1: I think... I think I always struggled with that confidence throughout that year until the city officials really came back and said, no, we're good enough. And even then I still struggled with it a bit. Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned through that is that you just have to step forward again and again and again. You have to just keep getting out of bed. Uh, Boy, there's so many instances in my life where I'm trying something new, like social media, the world of posting TikToks and stuff like that. Dude, the first ones I did were terrible, right? But that's just like part of the process. You just have to get out there, try something, learn, repeat, improve. And if you get into your own head too much, if you let that stress of I'm not good enough take over, you're going to fail before you have a chance
0: to succeed. That's so true. Like, if we all think about it, what you've gave such a great example and a visual of when we're born, we can't walk, we can't talk, we're just, we don't, we can't do anything and we have to figure it out. And then we forget that, that process. And then we go out, you know, you get your degree and you go out there and you think that this should just all fall into place and it doesn't. And even later in careers, you have to start from scratch again. If you're, if you choose to continue to grow and learn and make yourself better. And just the whole social media, the podcasting and everything that comes with it. I mean, it's scary. And you put yourself out there and myself is I'm included. Like you just start posting, you start talking. And I looked at some old videos and even this, you know, I'm not perfect by any means. And even, but like in the beginning, it's like, Oh my God, that's so painful. Can we just (laughs) like delete it forever? But you can't, it's on the internet. It's there forever, but it is fun to, to finally go. Thank you for not letting me still be in that phase. But I do know I've got to take the first step because then the next step is gonna get a little bit better. Um, but gosh, that first step and that first year and that first everything, it's just so incredibly hard and painful.
1: And you can't Um, skip it. No matter how much you think, no matter how much you learn from others, how many mentors you have, you have to take that first step yourself. And you've gotta fail through that process. That's just part of how it works.
0: Yes. You mentioned. Having to hire someone to manage that project, and you were—it sounded like it was kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. You got to find somebody, and you don't want to rush through it. And during our pre-conversation before I hit record, you mentioned about your uh, your number one lesson is is a little bit about people. Do you mind talking about that? Because I think it it it's vital.
1: Yeah, it took me a number of years to learn this, but the number one most important lesson that I've ever learned is to hire the best people. And that's not just a phrase, not not just people that you kind of like or that are good. No, truly, honestly, the best people, like world-class people. We fly people in from other states to come work here during the week and fly them home. Oh, one of my employees for example Steve Jobs announces the iPhone in 2007 on stage he walks off stage and my employee walks on that same stage following Steve Jobs announcement it's that kind of caliber of person and people often look at me at this phase and say dude mike that's great for you but i can't afford to hire the best truth is is they are expensive but what most people don't realize don't maybe deeply understand is that the best people outperform the average by two to five to 10 times as much. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And so when you look at it instead of the cost per person, but instead of you look at the cost per work output The best people are actually the most inexpensive. So when people tell me they can't afford the best, I tell them they can't afford not to. But it's it's even deeper than that because the best people change the game. They start to unlock doors and make things possible that you didn't even know could be unlocked or could be made into a reality. And what I have found is the moment we made a change there, in fact, it was a hard change, we changed the whole staff around. Once we made that change, we went from growing at like 10% per year to nearly doubling in size every single year.
0: That's fantastic. And it sounds like you find the people and and you go after them and you you know who it is that you really want to To bring into your circle and and of your influence? You're very intentional. Is that safe to say of who you're putting yourself around?
1: We're in the world of construction, at least the last decade, it's been really hard to hire construction workers. And so when we looked at this, we said, okay, dude, how are we going to do this differently? Especially because the best people, they are not looking for jobs. They don't apply on Indeed. So if you hope to post a job posting out there to get great people, it does not happened that way. So what we did instead is we ended up hiring 14 recruiters. At the time, we were only a 100-person company. 14 recruiters. That's 15% of our staff. Crazy. And so what they did is they started to identify everyone in our market works for other companies and find the best people on those other companies, then work to build a relationship over time so that when we have job openings, that they know who to tap on the shoulder to bring in into the company. So that's one of the key aspects. So there's a lot to it, but that's one part of it.
0: I love it. So you've hired these people to find the unicorns in the market because there's not that many. There's a lot of people in construction, but not that many that are the unicorns and you're finding the unicorns, you're attracting them. I can't help but see the unicorn in the background of <laughs> uh, of your video. Yeah. And I want to ask you: Can you? I'm sure there's a story about a unicorn, and maybe a podcast that you're working on. Do you mind talking about that?
1: Yeah, we are starting a brand new podcast called Zero to Unicorn. It's about the journey of small businesses growing to billion dollar enterprises and really asking the question of what is that journey really like? You know, oftentimes we hear the polished, clean, fun version of the story. The reality is oftentimes much more challenging, much more difficult to go through. And so that's the podcast that we're launching, and I'm excited to share it off with the world very soon.
0: That sounds fun. And it you know, a lot of people, and I've I've spoken with some folks I meet at conferences, and they hear some of the work that I do. I'm not building thousand foot long or thousand unit um, solutions. I'm just trying to help out a little bit around here, and um, and and be able to give back here locally. And so we talk about it, and people are honestly interested in finding ways to invest. They don't necessarily know about construction, but they do believe in affordable housing for these hardworking moms and dads and folks that are out there that really just need affordable housing. And when we stop and think about it and you really dig into it, I mean, these are the folks that make the world work and they need to be in our community because we want to go to dinner. We want to have all of these, you know, great retail stores and everything else that's around us. But to do that, they have to have some sort of affordable housing And so people are looking for ways to be able to be involved and to invest. Um, And you had mentioned that there could be an investment solution or, or platform that you're working on. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So we're opening up a brand new investment platform where people can actually invest in the things that we're doing. And so we always like to look at the world and say, how can we do things differently? One of the avenues we're looking at or we're changing is we said, can we allow people to become the bank in some way for our company? So they're not only earning the interest rate they would have gotten from the bank, but they could also earn the profits that the bank would have gotten on them. And so in the world of real estate, it's typically most people can't invest in real estate because you have to be an accredited investor and you have to have a million dollars in the assets or uh, $200,000 income or greater, most people, they don't qualify for that. And so we've taken the harder path over the past nine months, worked with the SEC, built out a whole platform to get approvals, uh, very expensive process. But because of all that, we're launching then a platform where you can put money into accounts. It feels a little bit like a bank account, but let me be very clear. It's not. It's not FDIC insured. So there is risk there we take steps to protect your money, but it allows you to invest in our company and help support the efforts to driving down the cost of housing and get a, an attractive interest rate you cannot get from any bank.
0: That's fantastic. Now, remind me again, where you're building, where you're building these solutions,
1: where we're building the North invest.
0: Yes. yes. Or no, where you're, you're, um, your housing, where oh, you're the, helping solve the, the housing crisis. Yeah.
1: Right now we're in Minnesota, but we're expanding into Texas. And in the next 10 years, we're hoping to go more nationwide, producing nearly 60,000 units per year.
0: This is fantastic. All right. So you're obviously a lifelong learner. You're, mm-hmm. you're probably just drinking from a fire hose. I've got to know. Where <laughs> where are you learning? Um, what are some of the best resources that you have that that have just really continued to open up your mind? Do you have anything that comes to mind?
1: Yeah, I, I literally look for world experts and we will fly them in to our company and like plead with them to come talk with us for a few days. That's always been a tremendous resource. There's a lot of like masterminds and groups I'm also a part of, like just some of the best people in the world come together and we refine and coach and support each other. Um, but maybe a little bit more accessible to average people. One of my favorite books recently is called Multipliers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you read Multipliers?
0: I actually participated in Liz when she rolled it out, and I've got my coins over there. Yeah, it's my awesome. Chips. Yeah, so it's so fun. you know all about
1: that. That's one of my recent favorites. One of my long-term favorites is um, No Rules, Rules by Reed Hastings. Okay. Uh, and that one's fantastic as well. It talks about the importance of finding the best people. And what's incredible is when you have an amazing team, the number of policies, rules, procedures, you start reducing that because you want to empower people to make great decisions. What's interesting is that you can't create enough rules to make a bad person, not make bad decisions, but great people, the rules actually become a hindrance from them to do what they need to do. So I've loved that book as well.
0: That is good advice. And I spent two decades in corporate and we had so many rules and then god forbid you know you come up with a creative solution they're like i don't know it doesn't fit in the rule box i'm like well you need new thinking and you want to grow the business so we gotta we gotta you know come up with some new ideas for business development and so it was always entertaining so what you're talking about with the rules and you got to empower the people to think and and to be able to take chances and i don't think we're going to be given so much opportunity that we're really going to hurt something terribly that cannot be unfixed um Sometimes we just need a a little bit of creativity and curiosity. And just like you did with the building and just looking at it with fresh eyes and not having expectations, that's really where the innovation and the growth comes from for generations to come.
1: There's so many businesses think I need to make sure that my employees don't do the wrong thing. I think that's the wrong thinking. The way I look at it is I worry so much more that good people won't do what they know is right. And so I want to make sure that's empowered. They're supported. Even if they make mistakes, that's okay. I support them through that. I want them to make mistakes because that's the path to growth.
0: This is fantastic. I could talk to you for a lot longer, and I know you've (laughs) got to get back to solving the um, housing crisis that is going on. Um, If someone wants to learn a little bit more about the work that you're doing how do they learn about you if they're one of the world experts and they're like, you know, I think I can help. How do they get in touch with you? Or how do yeah, they find you? You can visit
1: our website, norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com. And there's a ton of ways to get in contact with us on that site.
0: Thank you. Mike Kading, you are the CEO of Norhart, found on the web at norhart.com. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: My team and I just want to say thank you for tuning in to the Business Vitality Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. If you know of another leader, another CEO, a founder who has another success story that they are willing to share and be able to pay it forward, we would love to highlight their stories on this podcast. You can find more information at KatherineCanty.com. And in the meantime, if you could take a minute and rate this show, that would be super helpful because that's going to allow more people like you to find us in order to continue to pay it forward. Again, if you need to learn any additional information, we are happy to help. You can find us more at katherincanty.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn with my name, Catherine Canty. Thanks so much for being here.